I'm going to ask if you would open your Bibles to uh, the book of Acts. Uh, if you haven't noticed by now on Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoons, we have been uh, looking at the Acts of the Apostles, some say. Others call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And some call it the Acts of the Church. And we're in Acts chapter 11. And this is, I'm reading from the New King James Version on the day. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Listen to what God's Word says. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And that's what I want to talk about, called Christians. Called Christians. Those of you who are familiar with my preaching and teaching, you know I, I, I like to play with words and I like to um, have a play on words. That's my attempt to do that today with this title. Called Christians. Not just somebody calls you a Christian, but we are called Christians. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about a holy calling. We've been called, he said, to a holy calling. And then he wrote to the believers at Corinth and said, we've been called to peace. Then he wrote to those, the, the book of Colossians, and he talked about we've been called to one body. And then in Galatians, he said, we've been called to freedom. In Ephesians, he said, we need to know the hope of his calling. We need to know the hope of the calling of Jesus. It's not just that people call us Christians, but we have been called Christians. It's a calling on us. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of our identity. And the, and the first time that children of God were called Christians was in Antioch. And in chapter 11 of the, of the book of Acts, uh, children, of, children of God are called several different things, called believers because of our faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 11, we're also called disciples, disciplined ones followers, learners, and we're also in here called the church. The Greek word is ekklesia. It means to be called out and called together. So as the church, we've been called out of a world of sin, called together with other believers. So we are believers, we're disciples, we're the church. We're not going to look at those today. We're going to look at the first time that the children of God were called Christians. And that's so significant because it speaks of, it speaks of our identity. It speaks of who we are. Uh, to be a Christian, that is, you know, the suffix that I-A-N, it is to have the, the same properties as. So we know what Christ is, Son of God, Christ, Messiah, Christ, anointed one. And then the suffix means uh, the same properties as. So as Christians, we should have the same properties as Christ. 
So it's more than just saying I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I have, the, I have the same DNA as Jesus. I have the same makeup as him. Uh, when you put your, the way to become a Christian is you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You believe Jesus died on the cross, you believe God raised him from the dead, and receive him by faith. The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit moves inside of you. And then the Holy Spirit baptizes you, he, he places you into the body of Christ. So the Holy Spirit moves in you, and then you move in Jesus. And so you're a Christian. And the, and the way we live, Christ-like, we're supposed to have the same properties that Jesus had. And hopefully, whatever else this does today, it helps you to shape your identity in Christ. 61, I just read this recently, 61% of the people living in the United States are depressed. And I know that a lot of things can make you depressed, but I think part of the reason that some of us are depressed is because we try to find our significance and our status and our satisfaction in the wrong stuff. And then when it don't work the way we think it should work, we're, we're, we're depressed, we're dissatisfied, we're down, we're dismayed. And we should be getting our satisfaction and our self-esteem in Jesus Christ. Most women, not all, but most women, you can do your own research on this, I won't get into it too deep. When they have bad self-esteem, it's, it's based on a relationship with some man. Y'all say amen, go do your own research. So if your relationship with your man is going good, then you feel good about yourself because my relationship with my man is good. And then if it's not good, I feel horrible. I'm, oh, I'm down. Because you find your self-esteem in a man. And I'm not saying that to be judgmental. Most men, not all, most men, when we have issues with our self-esteem, it's with work. We find our self-esteem, our self-image, our significance and status, we find it in work. That's why when your man is all happy and you and, y'all, you and your man, y'all stuff is all jacked up, you depressed, he's happy. You know, why are you happy? Our stuff is jacked up. Because he don't get his self-esteem from you. He gets it from work. Well, he just closed a, a case at work. He just got a raise at work. Things just went well at work, so y'all stuff all jacked up. You think he should be depressed? No, but then when he has to take a cut and pay, now he feels bad because my stuff. Yo, our self-esteem doesn't need to be in work, and it doesn't need to be in another person. It needs to be in Jesus. Oh, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So now your self-esteem, your satisfaction, your status can be the same every day. When I got called from, East, when I got called from Terre Haute, Indiana to Indianapolis, Indiana, and I was in a bigger situation, and some people were saying, man, you think you're something now. No, I thought I was something then. Because it's not the size of the place I'm in that I get my self-esteem from. I was with Jesus in Terre Haute. Y'all ain't getting none of this today. So it's, it, we are called Christians. And so we should have the same properties as Christ. And, 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 and what that really means is, in this text, in, in uh, Acts 11, we ought to go like Christ. What do you mean, go like Christ? Christianity is, to be a Christian, to be called a Christian, is more than coming to church and sitting on a pew. Or it's more than sitting at home, streaming a church. 
or is more than sitting at home saying, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Because if you are Christ-like, Christ went to church, right? He went to the synagogue, went to the temple. Upon this rock I built my church. He went into physical structures that were the house of God. So we ought to have that same kind of property. But to, when you look at Jesus, he's always on the go. Very seldom did you see Jesus sitting around doing nothing. Right? He was on the go. He's in, my, we, we're in the Gospel of Mark on, on Sunday mornings at, at, uh, at the main location. And in the Gospel of Mark, every chapter has Jesus on the road. Every single chapter, he's on the road because he's always on the go. So you see him in Cana, then you see him in Galilee, then you uh, see him in Nazareth, then you see him in Jerusalem, you see him at, at Bethesda, he's, he's in Samaria. He's always on the go. And then look at us. We always sitting around doing nothing. Talking about, I'm a Christian. You ought to have a saint. But y'all ain't saying amen or none of this. We ought to have the same properties of Jesus, and if that's the case, we ought to be on the go. Now, let me, I'm going to read verse 19 to you in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. This is what it says. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but to the Jews only. You see how they were scattered out of Jerusalem, and then they end up, going to different parts of the world, including Antioch in chapter 11. Now, I want to say something about uh, the, the very next verse. It, it mentions some people came from Serene as well to deal with the preaching in Antioch. And I want to bring that up because Serene is black Africa. And there are those who suggest that black people, our first exposure to Christianity and Christ was in the 17th century in slavery in America where the slave master was used, twisted the scripture to try to make slaves more docile. And slave masters did twist scripture. I told them last night at a conference, I said, listen, y'all, the Bible doesn't lie, but people lie about the Bible. So people lied about the Bible to make slaves more docile. And there are those who suggest that that was our first introduction to Christianity and the church was in the 17th century in America as black people. Y'all, this was, this was written in the first century in Acts chapter 11, and it mentions black Africa, Serene. And it wasn't people taking the gospel to Serene. It was people from Serene taking the gospel to other places. These are black Christians, these are black preachers, these are black missionaries that took the gospel to Antioch, and that's the first place they were called Christians. And here's, that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that persecution in verse 19. Just because you persecute it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Stop thinking you miss God because you're going through a problem. Something must be wrong with my salvation. No, the first ones called Christians was called Christians in the context of persecution. Here's why their persecution, I believe, their persecution came because of this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's going to come up on you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's what the Lord told them in Acts 1 and 8. Y'all, all the way from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7, they only witnessed in Jerusalem. He told them to go to Judea, Samaria, and everywhere else. 
So this is only, they were operating in partial obedience. Jesus was clear on where I told you to go. But you decided, well, I'm doing his will because I'm witnessing at home, okay? Because that's where Jerusalem was for them, home. He said, all right, since you won't obey me on your own. In Acts 8 and 1, it says, and great persecution arose against those disciples. And when that great persecution rose against them, Acts 8 and 1, they were scattered. And guess where they went? Samaria, Judea, and everywhere else. Here's my point. Had they gone when Jesus told them to go, he wouldn't have had to bring in the persecution to push them to go. Somebody right now, Jesus already told you to do something. And you, you just doing a part. So you got partial obedience, okay. You're not going to do it on your own? He'll bring great persecution to get us to go like Christ to where he wants us to go. I don't remember what year it was, but Oprah Winfrey, this was, Oprah Winfrey is the first black female to have a nationally syndicated talk show. It was, I mean, it was number one show, right? She used to bring on uh, Elizabeth Edwards, married to Senator John Edwards and all that stuff that went on with that. But I guess Oprah liked her. She would always have her back. The first time Oprah had her own, Oprah said, before we get started, Elizabeth, I heard that you had a fall. You broke a, a bone and had to go to the hospital. I just wanted to know, let you know I heard about that, and I want to ask how you doing. And, uh, and Elizabeth Edwards told Oprah, I'm glad I fell. And I'm glad I broke my bone. And Oprah said, wait a minute, what? How can you be glad you fell and broke your bone? She said, because it was that trip to the doctor is when they caught my cancer. And they caught it so early that now they're able to cure it. She said, but had I not fallen, I never would have broke my bones. And had I not been broken, I never would have went to the hospital. Had I never gone to the hospital, I never would have known I had cancer. Had I never known I had cancer, I'd be dead in a few days. Y'all, it was the brokenness that led to a blessing. I don't know, this may not be helping y'all, but it's helping me. Y'all, just because you go through persecution doesn't mean you miss God. It may be God setting you up for a blessing to get you to where you need to be. So we're going to be Christian, Christians, like Christ, we got to go like Christ. Then we got to have gospel like Christ. What do you mean gospel like Christ? Um, it, I, we already read verse 19. And when they scattered and they went as far as Antioch and they preached the word. Keep reading it, it says again. And they preached the gospel. The Greek word is the euangelion. Some translations say the good news. That's what it is. It's the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. So when they got scattered... They didn't go complaining. They didn't go talking about people. God ain't really God. They love me. They, you know what they went doing? Preaching the gospel. Preaching the good news. Telling people about salvation in Christ. That's why people began to get saved. That's why people were turning their life to God. Because the same gospel Christ had is the same gospel these believers had. That's why they were called Christians. Because remember when Jesus first started his ministry? In, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. When Jesus first started, he was 30 years old when he started his, his ministry. And the first thing he did is went to Nazareth where he spent part of his childhood and he went into the synagogue and he opened the book 
And when he opened the book, he began to read. And he read out of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news. And watch what the folk in Antioch are doing. They're preaching the good news because they have the same properties as Jesus. And that's why they are called Christians. So if we want to be called Christians, we need to be spending some time in the good news and sharing that good news. 61% of us are depressed because all you hear is bad news. I, I watch the news all the time. Every day, I, I take my little smart device and I read newspapers from across the country. I do it every day. And I, I, was, I started off doing it because I want to be relevant and hear what's going on, get people's different take. And as I'm, so I'm reading all this stuff, man, and that stuff, it got, I was reading it every day. I was reading it, then I kept reading it longer and longer. And my mind wasn't right. Emotionally, I wasn't right. I'm like, something ain't right. And that's when the Holy Spirit said, Jeffrey Johnson, because you're spending more time in the bad news than you are in the good news. Y'all ain't got to look at me all holy like you all day in your Bible. Don't be looking at me like that. So I, I, I had to come to a determination. I'm going to spend more time in the good news to help me. Now, I still read the, the, the newspaper. I still get news from what's happening in the world. But I made up in my mind, if I spend an hour reading news from the newspaper, I'm going to spend an hour reading news from God's newspaper. That good news helps fight off that depression I was getting from the bad news. So that's what was happening. People were getting saved. People were getting delivered. It's because they had the same gospel that Jesus had. Uh, and then we have to grow like Christ. Verse 21, grow like Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Y'all, when you're reading about the church the first church, and Pastor Jay were talking about, he and I were talking about that earlier uh, today on, on the radio, and we were, we were celebrating not just Eastern Star Church, but we're celebrating the early church, that they were in that upper room, got filled with the Spirit, began to speak in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability. They began to preach the Word of God. 3,000 people, 3,000 people got saved off one message. They were growing. And then they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We already went through all of that, right? In Acts chapter 2. And the Lord added daily to the church those that were being saved. Then you get over here, to, then the church scatters after that persecution. Get over here to Antioch, and the Lord is still adding. They're, they're growing because, y'all, when, when we're like Christ, there ought to be some kind of growth about us. Something is not right when we're not growing. Some of y'all, you know, y'all got a green thumb and you do plants and all that kind of stuff and you put a plant in the pot and after a certain while you say, this thing ain't growing. Then you say, something wrong with this. Okay, some of y'all got a pet. You, got a, you went and got that, that big old whatever it is. You got a big dog. You wanted the dog just sit in the yard, keep people from coming in the yard. And then after two years, that's supposed to be a, Big Doberman pincher. Now he is little. He ain't growing. First thing come to your mind, something wrong. Okay. We just blessed a bunch of babies on Sunday, including Jeffrey, Jeffrey Allen Johnson the third. 
He about 26 inches, right? And if in another year, he's still 26 inches? Y'all getting it? So when I look at Christians who are the same level they were five years ago with no growth, what comes to my mind is y'all got it. Because if we have the same properties as Christ, there ought to be some kind of growth in that. Let me show you what I mean. And you don't have to turn there. I think they're going to get it on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 50. And you can go there if you want to. Luke, if you can handle your Bible. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. This is, this is after Jesus went to the holidays to Jerusalem with his parents, went to the temple. And then when the holy days was over, when the holiday was over, his parents went back thinking 12-year-old Jesus was with the other relatives. They all got back home and Jesus wasn't there. 12-year-old Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't with the other relatives. So they went back. Jesus said, I'm, 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 I'm about my father's business. And here's, here's after that. Here's what it says in verse 52. And Jesus increased. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Watch this. Here's how Jesus grew. Here's how Christ, 12-year-old Christ, here's how he grew. He grew in wisdom. That's intellectually. He grew in stature, that's physically. He grew in favor with God, that's spiritually. And he grew in favor with people, that's socially. If we have the same properties as Christ, we ought to be growing intellectually. That's why Maggie Scott Singer said, when you preach, if you've been to school, preach like you've been to school. Stop letting people pull you down to their level you ought to be trying to pull them up to your left. So it ought to be, we ought to grow intellectually. We ought to grow physically, right? We ought to, their exercise is, is good for the body. Helps your body to grow into what it's supposed to be. That's why I don't trip, I don't trip about how big I am, little I am. I just try to eat right and exercise. And whatever size that is, that's the size God wants me to be, even if you don't like it. But physically, right? And then grow spiritually in your relationship with God. You ought to spend some time in the Word. You ought to spend some time fasting. You ought to spend some time praying. You spend some time so that you can grow spiritually. And if you grow spiritually, you ought to also have favor with people. You ought to grow socially. And the trick of the enemy is to try to keep you from growing in the things of God. So uh, we, we ought to grow like Christ. Um, the older I get, to me, the more I look like my oldest brother, for I have two brothers, Tony and Frank. Frank is my oldest brother. And, the, and the, the older I get, the more I look like my big brother to me. My big brother to me, yeah, that's them right there. My, I call him my big brother, but he's, he's the shortest one in the picture. So the one on the left, that's my, that's my big brother, Frank. And of course, the youngest one in the picture is the tallest one in the picture. That's me. The older I get, to me, I look like my big brother. Now, y'all never met my biological father. My big brother looks just like my father. Just like him. My big brother looks just like my father. Every day, I'm starting to look more and more like my big brother. The reason for that we have the same DNA. My father provided seed. 
And that seed, that DNA has a predisposition so that my, my big brother looks just like my father. And the older I get, I look more and more like my big brother. Here's what the Apostle John said. The Apostle John said that God's seed is in you. When you believe Jesus died on the cross, you believe God raised from the dead, John said the seed of God is in you. What that means is his DNA is in you. And you ought to have a predisposition that you ought to be looking like your father. Y'all ain't saying amen to this. Okay, let, let me do it like this. I'm going to ask y'all a question. Put that, put that image back up of my, my big brother. Put that image back. I'm going to ask y'all an honest question. And be honest with me. Do I look like my big brother? Just if yes, no. Just do this or do this. Okay. Some are saying, yeah, you do kind of look like him. Others are saying, oh man, you don't look nothing like him. That's how I'm doing y'all with Jesus. I'm looking at Jesus. Then I'm looking at you. Now I ain't going to tell y'all. <laughs> but when people look at you, they ought to be able to tell you're in the family. You got the same DNA. And of course, the older I, the more mature I become, I don't think I looked like him 10 years ago, but the more mature I become, I'm starting to look more and more like my big brother. That's why in, in Romans 8 and 28 it says, and, and we know all things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are called according to his prayer. And we keep thinking that means you, go, you, know, you, you went through some issues, but you got a house out of it. You know, the divorce was terrible, but I did get the house. It worked out for my good. Now that may be good, but that ain't the good Paul's talking about. Well, the accident was terrible and all that stuff, but I got a new car out of it, so it worked out for my good. That may be good, but it's not the good. If you want to know what the good is in Romans 8 and 28, read Romans 8 and 29, that we might be conformed into the image of his son. All the stuff we're going through is so that God will make us look more like our big brother because our big brother looks just like our father. Philip said, Jesus, you're trying to get us to follow you. You're trying to get us to be your disciples. Philip said, Jesus, just show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said, show you the father. When you've seen me, you've seen the father. I look just like my father and I'm trying to get y'all to look like me. You know what? The seed of God is what I'm doing. Being, growing like Christ. The, 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 the greatest compliment you can give a father about his children is when you say, those children look just like you. And I know that because people tell me that even to this day with my sons. No matter which son I'm with, somebody said, man, man he look just like you. That's the greatest compliment you can give me about my. You can talk about their degrees and jobs and what they're doing, and I'm proud of all that. But the greatest compliment you give me about my children, I'm their father. They look just like you. The worst thing you can tell a father about his children, man, they don't look nothing like you. Now, man, how would you feel if somebody said your children don't look nothing like you? And that's what's happening. God is our Father. 
And the way some of us live and act, we don't grow, we ain't trying to grow, is that focusing to God. Your children don't look anything like you. And the way you would feel, that's the way God feels. Man, I had another illustration. I'm going to go on to the next one. Um, Since we are called Christians, we ought to have grace like Christ. Verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Here's what was going on. Church scattered. They went to Antioch. They're preaching and teaching. Lives are being, souls are being saved. Lives are being changed. People turn their hearts. It was, a, it was awesome. And people were excited about all of that. And, and so when the, when the mother church heard about this in Jerusalem, they said, man, we got to send some help down there. And so they sent the son of encouragement. They sent uh, Barnabas down there, the son of exhortation. And when he went, they sent him down there so that he could encourage the people. And, and when he got there, the first thing it says with, with Barnabas is he, when he saw the grace of God, he looked at the people, he looked at the believer, he looked at the Christians and saw the grace of God. Y'all, when people, people ought to be able to see God's grace. We ought to have the same grace that Jesus had, right? I, I, I'm going to do it like this and I'll move on to the last one. Sunday, I preached at this location. I, I preached out of uh, Mark chapter 2. And the, men, the, four, the four men carried the paralyzed man. Jesus is in the house preaching the word, right? And uh, nobody, it was so full, people couldn't get in. They went up on the roof, tore it up, lowered the man down. And here's what Jesus said. When he saw their faith, here's what Jesus said to the man. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's grace. Because whatever that man did was so messed up, he couldn't walk right. Now, that don't mean everybody that's sick, you're sick because of sin. But every time you sin, there's going to be some kind of sickness. Something's going to go. The wages of sin is death. This man, evidently, his sin was so messed up, he couldn't walk right. But when Jesus saw him, he didn't start rehearsing his sin. He said, your sins are forgiven. You and I have the tendency of of pointing out people's sin rather than pointing them to God's forgiveness. And I, I know I'm, I'm not on social media because I'm not social. So people say, you ought to be on social media. I'm not so. I don't, I don't want 2,000 fake friends. I just, that don't mean anything. That doesn't do anything for me. I want real, if I'm going to get a friend, I want a real one. And some of y'all know this. By the time you're 50, you don't want no more friends. You, you, that's it. I'm done. I got all the friends I want. I, don't, I ain't got no job openings for new friends. But on social media, it's so much negativity about what somebody did wrong, and they ain't this, and they ain't that, because we, we're quick to point out people's sins. But if we got the same properties as Christ. People ought to be able to see our grace, the unmerited favor of God. We ought to be pointing people to their forgiveness. Y'all, you've been telling somebody for five years how sinful they are. I think they got it by now. When are you going to walk up to them and tell them, your sins are forgiven? When Barnabas got to Antioch, the same grace he saw in Jesus, he saw it in the believers. No wonder they can't. And then 
Barnabas went and got the apostle Paul. Well, he didn't get the apostle Paul. He went and got Paul. He had just got saved in chapter 9. This would be Paul's first opportunity for full-time ministry because the son of encouragement made that happen. And that church, Paul and Barnabas spent one whole year there preaching. And as a consequence, that church was growing and growing. And when that church, when, whenever you have a growing church, and I can testify to this, people come from everywhere to see what are y'all doing? So people were coming from everywhere, and a man, a prophet came, because he was, he was coming to check out what was going on, Agabus. And so Agabus shows up, and, and these people, he comes, and when he gets there, he comes in from Jerusalem to Antioch, verse 27. Then in verse 28, when he shows up, Barnabas says, hey, man, I know you're going to be in town. We want you to preach for us. And when, when Agabus got up to preach, he said, listen, the Lord has showed me something. He's a prophet. The text says, Agabus is a prophet. And when he got up to prophesy, y'all can read it. Look at what he prophesied. Prophets of the 21st century, they always prophesy positive. Every prophet I've heard, and you, have always prophesied positive. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be healed. You're going to be rich. Everything going to work out for you. But when I read the prophets in the Bible, man, they ain't prophesied like that. They talking about war is coming, a storm is coming, a drought's coming. That's why they kept locking them up, putting them in jail, and putting them in pits and all that kind of stuff. And this prophet in chapter 11, he prophesied a famine, a drought is getting ready to hit this area. And when he prophesied that a drought was getting ready to hit this area, I want you to see the response of the, of the, of the, of the Christians uh, in Antioch. This is in verse, in verse 29. In verse 29. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And they collected an offering, gave it to Saul and Barnabas, and told them, y'all take that on back to Jerusalem when y'all go. Because they had the same properties as Christ because they were willing to give like Christ. No wonder they were called Christians because they would give like Christ. Now, some of us call ourselves Christians. We don't give like Jesus. You ought to have the same DNA. You ought to look like him. You ought to have the same properties he had. Jesus was a giver, right? God gave his son, then his son gave his life, then the son gave salvation, gave us the Holy Spirit, then the son gave, he gave sight to the blind, he gave hearing to the deaf, he gave the ability to walk to the lame. He's always giving. And then when it's time for us to give, we got an excuse why we don't give. Watch the people at Antioch, watch these Christians there. The prophet prophesied, all hell get ready to break loose. It's going to be a drought. Well, in Antioch, it's a, they live a city life. They got commerce. They got financial institutions. They got businesses and merchants. They got all that kind of stuff there. But in Judea, it's rural life. They're farmers. They're agricultural people. So when the drought hits, they knew a drought was coming, a famine was coming, and a famine did come. That's how you can tell a true prophet because after they prophesy, it comes to pass. If they prophesy it don't come to pass, they false prophets. The Bible teaches us that. He prophesied drought coming, famine coming. It's going to be a mess. 
and it did come, and before it came, the Christians said, we're going to take up an offering. Not for us at Antioch, we're going to be fine, we, we live city life. But the people in the rural areas, they're going to have an issue with their farming and their agriculture. And they began to give like Christ. Now I want to show you how they gave, and then we can go on and get out of here. Here's how they gave. Here's how they gave. Um, where was that? Verse 29. Then the disciples each, everybody say each, they gave individually. They didn't look at the person sitting next to them and say, man, shoot, they ought to be giving all the money they make. And if they're giving all that, then I don't have to give anything. A whole lot of us talk about at Eastern Star Church what we are doing, right? We give scholarships. We have fed millions of meals in Haiti. Uh, we have given technology to Arlington Woods. We have built new bit. We, um... <laughs> and I guess it is we. We are one body, is we. But each individually gave each of the, so as an individual, I can't, and I know the numbers of, of, of people, and we got some people that give very, and I can't give like them, but I still got to take on my responsibility to give, so each, they gave individually according to his ability. So they gave proportionately. Here is why when the Bible says bring the tithe, that's the tenth, that's 10%, here's why it's so fair, because it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. It's proportionate. So if you make a million dollars a year, you get 10%. If you make $30,000 a year, you get 10%. It's according to your ability. So if God, if God has done nothing for you, then give nothing. If God has done a little for you, then give a little. But if God has done for you what he's done for me, he opened the windows of heaven and poured you out a blessing, you don't have room enough to receive it. To whom much is given, much is expected, much is required. So they gave proportionately, and then it said they were determined. They gave disciplefully. They determined. They made up in their mind. They didn't give emotionally. Yesterday was a crazy day. I was, went to a funeral. At the funeral, somebody told me somebody got shot, then somebody else died, and it was a mess. Somebody was, all this bad news I was getting yesterday. And if I came in here and started crying about Somebody got burned out, and it was terrible, y'all, their whole family. And we've had that before. And, and I come in here, and, and I am sensitive. I cry over everything. But most of y'all will be moved emotionally and will give, most of you. Because we're good giving emotionally. But these people gave decisively. They determined. They, I made up in my mind. Because, y'all, when you do it emotionally, here's what happens with emotions, and you found this out in your relationship. Emotions run up and down the scale. Sometimes you feel like it. Y'all ain't helping me. <laughs> sometimes you don't. So if you just give it to God emotionally, sometimes you feel like that, that's, no, it's decisively. It, it is, I'm making up my mind. I'm determined. I'm participating in this. And then they gave preventively. What do you mean preventively? The drought hadn't come yet. They just believed the prophecy. And they said, here, we're going to take up this offering. When y'all go back to Jerusalem and Judea, y'all take this for the, this drought. But y'all going to need that down there. That's how, y'all, we don't have to wait till a tragedy hits before we start doing. If we do what we're supposed to do with regularity, when the issue comes, we'll be able to sail right through it. 
You don't wait till your tires go flat before you rotate them. You rotate your tires to prevent them from going. You don't wait till your engine locks up and say, man, I better go get this oil changed. I hope not. You change your oil to prevent it. So that's what he's talking about they were doing. I'm going to close like this. I didn't mean to hold y'all this long. Um, they, they, they were able to give like this. Oh, Mount Hermon. Lady Sharon and I went to Israel, I think it was two years ago, and we went over there, and, and I, I, I didn't know this, but in, in Israel, I'm thinking it's always desert and always hot, but in Mount Hermon, it's a beautiful mountain. Mountain range is actually, it's beautiful, and it's snow-capped in the winter. And then when the sun melts, when that sun comes out, and it will get 100-plus degrees down there, it melts the snow on on, on Mount Hermon and then that water comes rushing down Mount Hermon and it rushes into the Sea of Galilee it goes into the northern inlet of the Sea of Galilee and it goes straight through the Sea of Galilee into the northern inlet of, of uh, the Jordan River and then it keeps on going and it goes out the southern outlet of the Jordan River the same water from Mount Hermon and it goes into the Dead Sea now the Dead Sea if we can get that image up the Dead Sea it to me it looks beautiful but nothing can really grow in the Dead Sea in the Sea of Galilee, Lady Sharon and I stayed at a hotel right outside the sea. We came out, stood on the balcony, and watched where Jesus walked on water and watched where Jesus did miracles, right at the Sea of Galilee. And the water is rich, real, and refreshing. They got a fish, St. Peter's fish, and it's delicious. Out of the Sea of Galilee. But now the Dead Sea, nothing can grow in it. Uh, matter of fact, that's why they call it the Dead Sea. Now, here's what I was wondering. How can the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee have the same water source? One is rich, real, and refreshing, and the other is dead. Can't nothing go in it, can't nothing flow in it, and can't nothing grow in it. And it's the same water source. How is that? Here's why. Because the Sea of Galilee receives the water, then releases it. The Dead Sea, it has a northern inlet, but no southern outlet. It receives it, but it doesn't release what it receives. So everything it gets, it holds on to it. It won't go, it won't flow, and it won't grow. Have you ever wondered how with some Christians, our lives are rich, real, and refreshing, and in your life, nothing will go, nothing will flow, and nothing will grow? It may be because you have a receptive mentality, but no release. Everything God gives you you try to hold on to it. But if you have the same DNA, the same properties as our big brother Jesus, when you receive, you ought to also give. And what I learned is when you give, God will give back to you. Good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Everybody say amen.